Well, hey there, my name is Roy Hyde, and I am the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly, and we're so glad that you've joined us this morning for our online service. Now, we've been working through a series on worship, and we've been looking at the different aspects of worship and how it's not just about singing. In week one, we looked at the role of gathering together in our worship. In week two, we looked at the purpose of preaching. Last week, we looked at a life that is defined by generosity, and that life reveals who we worship. Now, this week, as you know, because our, our, our church is allowed to meet outdoors, we're finally able to sing. Now, if you're at home and you're watching this at home, you've been able to sing all along. You've been able to experience the singing part of our worship all along. But I want to look today at how important your praise or your voice is in singing as part of your spiritual battle. This morning, I want to look at Judges chapter 7. Now, Judges 7 tells the story of a man named Gideon. Gideon was a prophet that God had called on to save the nation of Israel. And as was Israel's pattern, they would, they would wholly devote their lives to God, and he would prosper them, but then they would forget where their source of blessing came from. And little by little, they would slip away from God, and they would begin to put their faith in idols and, and other gods. And when God would take his hand off the nation, they would fall to their enemies. And this is where we pick it up. This was the case. They were being ravaged by the land of Midian. The Midianites would attack their land, pillage their crops and livestock, and make life miserable for the Israelites. Now, eventually, the Israelites got to a place where many of us get to when we've forgotten about God. We've forgotten about the place of God in our lives. They become desperate, and they cry out for God for help. And so God calls on Gideon to assemble an army and face the Midianites. Now, Gideon's initially pretty nervous about this entire task and this encounter because the Israelite army has 32,000, which sounds like a lot until you realize it's dwarfed by the Midianite army of 135,000. However, he agrees that he is going to go and fight with the Israelites because God has promised to be with him. And so in chapter 7, it tells us that Gideon and the Israelite army advanced to take camp at the spring of Herod. Now, this is Herod, spelled H-A-R-O-D, means the spring of fear. Gideon's men are traveling, and they come to a stop at a place called fear. Now, I don't know your story. I don't know what your situation is currently. But I do know that it's very hard right now to not turn your TV on or go on the internet or check the news and be inundated with doom and gloom and just the unknown. It can be very easy for us right now to be marching along in our lives, feeling good, and then decide we can't go any further. There's just too much around us. We decided that we were going to place our camp in this place called fear. The spring of Herod. The place of trembling. The Judges goes on to say that the Midianite army had set up camp just north in the valley of Morah. Now this word Morah actually means teacher. 
So the Israelites, you have them, they're set up in this place called fear, looking directly into the eyes across at their enemy in this place called teacher. This is so symbolic for our lives. Because we know that the greatest teacher in our lives is those times where we face our fear head on. It's in the battle that we learn our greatest lessons. It's when we come face to face with the enemy is when we grow. But we have, this, we have to fight this desire that we have in us when we are face to face with the enemy. It's either run or retreat or we stay camped in this place called fear. Yet God wants us to call on his name and head into battle. And then God tells Gideon something that I'm sure he wasn't exactly thrilled to hear. He tells Gideon, you have too many people. You have too many people in your army. We need to trim this down to only the ones that are serious. You need to send back anyone who's afraid. And to Gideon's dismay, 22,000 of the 32,000 leave because they're afraid. I think we've seen this in some of our churches. Because there was a time not so long ago where there was an expectation to an extent for you to go to church. It was normal for you to attend church on Sundays. It was part of regular business. There was a time where it actually was advantageous for you to go. It was helpful for your business to be associated with church. But as the tides of culture have shifted, we lost many of the non-committed. It became not so advantageous for your business to be in church. It wasn't good for business. And so a lot of people left. And what we now have are the ones that are not afraid, the committed, the ones that are ready for battle. Because the battle ahead is not for the faint of heart. We're living in a world right now that needs people like you and I to rise up and fight for justice, fight for equality, fight for grace, for the family, fight for your marriage, fight for your school, fight for your workplace, fight for holiness, and ultimately fight for love. And so Gideon is left with 10,000 men that claim to not be afraid of what lies ahead. But when, Gideon, but when God says to Gideon, he says this, your army, Gideon, is still too big. So Gideon follows God's orders, and he takes them down to the stream where they get water. And God tells Gideon this really strange thing, but he says, I need you, whoever kneels down and drinks from water, kneels and puts their face right in the water and drinks, I need you to send them home. But whoever brings the water up to their own mouth, I want you to have them stay and fight. Strange, right? Many biblical scholars actually believe that for the stealth mission that God was about to send Gideon on, he would rather have 300 men that stayed alert of what was happening around them than, than to have thousands that were not alert. This is what I know. And this is what Gideon knew. That if God is with you, if God has your back, the odds become irrelevant. The odds don't matter. And so now Gideon has 300 men against an army of 135,000. 
Judges chapter 7 verse 8 says this. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down to the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack... Now that's a funny statement right there. That's a funny statement. Because God has already told Gideon the victory is his. But he's not completely convinced, which I kind of understand... I mean, it's 300 versus 135,000. We can get caught up in what we see when we don't realize God's working in the background. But God says to Gideon in verse 10, If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. And what Gideon discovers is this. He discovers that the enemy is talking about him. See, Gideon's over here worried about the Midianites, but he doesn't realize that the Midianites are over here worried about him. So Gideon goes down, and he sneaks up on the Midianite camp and overhears two Midianites talking. One of them is sharing a dream he had. And the first guy says this, I had a dream. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. Well, admittedly, this is kind of a ridiculous type vision when you sort of picture it in your head. It sounds like a scene maybe out of Veggie Tales. But truthfully, I've had some dreams that made little to no sense as well when you, when you analyze them a little bit. But the guy he's talking to says this. This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. You see, Gideon recognizes that this isn't a coincidence that he's overheard this. God has given him the reassurance that the enemy is actually more afraid of him than he is of them. And immediately... This is important. Immediately, he bows down to worship. Here's what we gather from this. is this. Sometimes, God will reveal to you when you're in your valleys, when you're in your low places, God will reveal to you a glimpse of your victory. But it depends how you respond in the low place, whether he will or not. The question is, will you worry or will you worship? Worry will keep you in the valley of the fear. Worry will cause you to flee. Worry will make you run. Worry will not allow God to lead you to victory. But worship, worship will reveal God's power. Worship will teach you to trust. Worship will reveal where your faith actually lies. And whether we worry or whether we worship reveals who we believe has the most power. So Gideon decides to turn his worry into worship. He knows that if God is with you, you can face whatever's going to come your way with a sense of confidence. And not only that, but when you choose to worship over worry, the enemy begins to talk about you. You become a problem. And you have this reputation that precedes you because of whose side you're on. If God is for you, who really can be against you? 
So God goes, so Gideon goes back to camp and he's charged up. He goes back to his army of 300 and he's like, it's go time. And he says to his men, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. And he tells them to grab a trumpet in one hand and then a clay pot with a torch in the other and follow me. Now, if I'm one of the men in his army, one of the 300, I recognize the odds. 300 versus 135,000. I'm kind of hoping that when Gideon comes back all fired up, it's because he's found a rocket launcher, or, or somehow they built a tank, or, or maybe, maybe they have the plans for an Apache helicopter. Because I know that with those odds, we're going to need some real firepower. But Gideon comes back all excited, and he says, ready, grab a trumpet, grab a clay pot, and let's go. Okay. But he says, he says this, watch me. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of camp, do as exactly as I do. Now, side note here. If you consider yourself to be a leader, or you want to be a leader, you need to understand this. Leaders lead by example. Leaders don't wait for others to take their cues from. They take on this posture of worship without anybody prompting. When I show up for church, when I show up for a service, I don't need somebody to fire me up. I come with a posture of worship. I don't just worship if I'm standing up on a stage. I don't worship only when the lights are on me. I don't worship when there's a microphone in my hand. Leaders lead and leaders go first. So that means I don't wait for others to clap when I clap. I don't wait for others to raise their hands when I raise my hands in worship. I don't wait for someone else to come to the altar. I go and I kneel down when I, when I recognize there is an audience of one. I don't wait to give if someone else gives. I've come to give to God regardless, whether that be of my finances, whether that be of my time, whether that be of my, in, my, my direct attention. Leaders go first. See, people are watching you if you're a leader, and they will follow your lead. So forget everyone else around you. Keep your eyes directly fixed upon God and lead. So Gideon says, watch me, follow my lead. And when the time is right, Gideon divides the group up. And they surround the camp, just the 300 of them. And it's in that moment that his men would appreciate how much they actually are outmatched. How much the odds are stacked against them. Imagine 300 people. Now if you think about at our church and at APA, if you had everybody stand inside this room, you would probably fit about 300 people. Now imagine that's our army, and we decide we're going to go to the city of Guelph and surround it, because the, the populations are roughly about 135,000. Can you imagine surrounding the city of Guelph with just the people from this room? That's terrifying. It's daunting. But there they stood. They took position. Then at the exact right time, the Bible says this. 
the three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpet they were to blow. And they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Now the book of Judges says that when the men blew their horns and stood in position, the Midianites began to turn in confusion on each other. You see, there's a saying that says, praise confuses the enemy. When you've been through a storm, and people can't believe that you're still standing, and then you can, instead you shout praises to God, that doesn't make any sense to the enemy. When addiction has cost you everything, but you refuse to stay down, and then you, instead you praise God in heaven for the one who gives you new purpose, that confuses the enemy. Gideon's men blow their trumpets, smash their clay jars, revealing their torches, and they held them up. And in that moment, the enemy doesn't know what to do, and it wipes itself out. Now, here's the best part. The best part is this. This all begins with this act of brokenness. It's actually a picture of pure worship. The first thing they do was to break the clay jar. Now, maybe that, that didn't make sense to them at the time when Gideon gave the instruction, but this is what they did. See, God uses, we know this, God uses broken things. God uses broken hearts. God uses broken dreams to accomplish his will. See, we think that when we worship, that we're displaying our strength. But true worship is an admission of our weakness, a display of our brokenness. It's, it's us coming humbly before God and saying, listen, Lord, I don't have the weapons. I don't have the strength. I'm outnumbered. I'm outsized. But if I can come into your presence and lay down my pride, lay down my ego, take on a posture of humility, set aside all my accomplishments and not care what people think of me, if I can allow myself to be broken in his hands, then he can release the fire of his spirit. See, within these clay jars were torches. But once the clay was broken, it was then that the flame was actually revealed. See, many of us want the spirit of God. We want the glory of God. But we don't want the brokenness that it takes to reveal it. See, we know that singing is worship. We've established that. But do you want to sing? Or do you want to worship? Because you can sing the words, you can move your lips, but that's not worship. If you want to see the fire revealed, something needs to be broken. Now this part's even better. Because they took that torch and they raised it in the air with their left hand. Fire in the Bible always represents God's presence. Couple that with the fact that they raised it with their left hand, which in the Bible, again, the left hand represented the weak hand. Sorry, lefties. In my weakness, when I raise my left hand, I'm saying, God, in my weakness, I need your presence. In my weakness, your strength actually shines brighter. 
So when I worship, I raise my weakness and ask for God's presence. And then in the right hand, in the right hand they raise their trumpets. Trumpets were the instrument of declaration. When the Lord returns for his church, what instrument does Revelation say will sound to declare his arrival? That's right, the trumpet. So in their right hand, they held up a symbol of declaration. And in their left hand, they they petition for the presence of God. And then he told them one last thing to do was to shout, to shout the name of the Lord. Isn't that something that this is the posture of worship? My left, left hand, Lord, send your presence. Right hand, Lord, I declare your glory. And with my lips, I will shout your praises. The declaration of God, the declaration of God plus the presence of, of, your, of, of God combined with your voice, your enemy doesn't stand a chance. And when these three things work together in unison against all, God, against all odds, against all projections, against all common sense, God gave Gideon a complete victory. And when the victory was complete, the Israelites finished off the entire Midianite army. And when they did, they ended in a place called Beth Barah, which means place of safety. Now think back to their journey. They began in a place called fear. They crossed through a place called teaching. And they ended in a place called safety. And the thing that took them from the place of fear to the place of safety was worship. Again, I don't know where you are today. Maybe you would say that I'm in a place of fear right now. And you want nothing more than to get from this place of fear to the place of safety. Don't run. Don't stay. Don't camp in the place of fear. It begins with left arm up. Your presence, God. Right arm up, the declaration of your glory, and my lips shout your praises. This is the position how you fight your battles. Left arm up, right arm up, praise on my lips. Left arm up, right arm up, praise on my lips. Let's pray. God, I, I, we worship you today. We worship you with our lips. We worship you with our song. We worship you with the, the, uh, our, our actions. We worship you with our, our spirit, our attitude. But God, as we come and we have the ability and, the, and, the, and the, the pleasure and the honor to be able to sing praises to you, God, I pray that it wouldn't be just going through the motions. I would pray it would be more than just a song. We would come from a place of brokenness first, where we're able to humble ourselves, where we're able to, to, through our weakness, display our weakness for you and allow you to strengthen us so we can put our left arm up and call on your presence, and we can put our right hand up and declare your glory. And with our lips, we can shout your praises because, God, you've already, you've already won the victory and you want to lead us into battle. And so, Lord, I, I pray a blessing on each person that hears this this morning. 
And I pray that, uh, that we would wake up each day thankful for what we have and ready to praise, ready to worship. Amen. Now this morning, uh, if you're at home and you're watching, we're about to have a time of worship. And I know at, t- at times it can be tough. You can feel like a spectator when, uh, when you're viewing worship. But can I encourage you today to lift your hands? Don't worry about who's in the room around you. Lift your hands, raise your voice, and sing along and praise God and give him the worship he deserves. <laughs>